0: Well, good morning. It's great to have you all here today. Uh, I think we had a a really fun August here. Uh, We had five meetings where different people preached. I just wanted to say thank you so much to those people that uh, gave and served in that way, which uh, a lot of work involved. So thank you to all of you and to others that served as well. And it does feel like the beginning of a new term, doesn't it? We're back to two meetings Uh, We were all in one meetings, a bit crammed in through August, but it was a great time. And one of the things we did was we had a series, a sermon series, on the parables in Luke's Gospel. And so we were looking at five different parables. And then today I thought it'd be great if we could just look at one more parable from Luke's Gospel. So I sort of extended the series slightly. And we're going to look at the parable... uh, of the mustard seed. It's a parable about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God grows. And the word mustard seed is uh, quite significant for my wife and I. We met at uh, a children's mission called Mustard Seed. It was an event that used to take place on Wimbledon Common. I think we've got a picture there. <laughs> this caused much hilarity in the office when uh, <laughs> Nigel and the others saw that picture of me. Uh, that's me with a guitar. And we all wore these bright yellow uh, sweatshirts and t shirts with mustard seed on it. Um, And we would have, we had a team of about 40, uh, and about 400 children would come up to Wimbledon Common every afternoon for a week. And we would teach them Bible stories, and we would do songs, we did games and activities, Uh, had a lot of fun. So four hours every afternoon, the kids were there, Uh, lots of marquees, and we had a big meeting in the big marquee, and then they broke down into age groups. And that's where Kathy and I met. We were both on the same team uh, one particular year, and we met there. So the word mustard seed uh, is uh, significant for us, I guess, as a couple. Um, And we're going to look at this parable, which is very short, but before we do, I just want to talk about the difference between the kingdom of God and the church, Uh, because Jesus talks in this parable about the kingdom of God. Let me illustrate it in this way, if you come with me over here. um, This baptism pool is a nice, convenient illustration for me, so it's circular. I want you to imagine that this baptism pool represents the church, and that uh, I want you to imagine that Jesus is at the center of the baptism, Paul, and the church is focused on serving him, worshiping him, trying to follow his teaching. So that's the church. But you could also draw another circle around that, a wider circle, and you could label that the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is also focused on Jesus at the center, but it isn't the same as the church. You see, when Jesus came in his ministry and was uh, preaching and teaching. He healed people, irrespective of whether they were part of the church or not, irrespective of whether they were going to follow him and his teaching. Uh, He healed the blind, he healed the lepers, the deaf, and so on. And so that was the impact of the kingdom being felt through his ministry, through his teaching, through his healing ministry, when he fed 5,000 people plus Uh, they were experiencing something of the impact of the kingdom of God. Not all of those 5,000 people were necessarily going to follow Jesus or follow his teaching, trying to be disciples of him, but they were nevertheless impacted by his kingdom. And the same is true today, that the church uh, tries to express something of the love of God, and wherever that is felt, that is the kingdom of God. Wherever the impact of of who Jesus is is felt, that that is the kingdom of God. So, for example, uh, this Friday, there'll be a group here called Rainbow Rhymes. Uh, They restart after the summer. That's our parent and toddler group and there'll be about a 100 adults and children in this room, packed into this room, and they'll be doing songs, and they'll be doing kind of parachute games and that sort of thing. Now, not everybody that comes to that group will necessarily end up following Jesus Christ and making him Lord of their lives. Not everybody that comes to that group will come to church, although we pray that that some will, that, that many will. But it is an expression of the kingdom of God. It is, the kingdom of God is bigger than the church, but it's not exactly the same as the church. Similarly, if you go to the Catford building on a Wednesday night, uh, you'll see a group there called the Feast. And that serves about 100, sometimes more than 100 people with a meal. Uh, all of those people are marginalized. They're homeless. They're out on the streets, many of them. Um, and they come in every Wednesday, and they have a meal, they have an opportunity to uh, get fresh clothes and that sort of thing. Um, But it's a ministry that's been going on for many years. That is an expression of the kingdom of God, but it's not exactly the same as the church. It's mediated through the church. It goes through the church, and it's an expression of God's kingship, of Jesus' kingship. And so we hope that some of those people will become Christians And they do become Christians. There's a number of them that have been on the streets but have become followers of Christ. Um, But it isn't exactly the same as the church. It's an expression of our outreach into the community. Similarly, at Christmas, when we gather food together to make up hampers for the Big Red Box project... Uh, All those hampers, we had hundreds of hampers last year, uh, just go out into the community uh, for poorer families, particularly in the borough of Lewisham. They go out through social services, they go out through different agencies and charities. um, And so we work with different groups to make sure that the poorest families get a hamper at Christmas. That is an expression of the kingdom of God. Now, we would hope that maybe those people, some of those people might want to eventually find out more about Jesus and about the gospel, but it isn't necessarily that they're going to end up in church. It's not necessarily the same thing. However, much that is true of the kingdom of God is true of the church. And so if Jesus teaches us that the kingdom is a growing kingdom, then we should logically feel that the church should also grow. So here is the parable of the mustard seed. Don't blink, it's very short. Luke 13, 18 to 19. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Now for us in modern day Britain, The idea of a mustard seed tree is a bit alien to us. I I don't know whether there was a law passed many years ago that said that every child that went through the British education system had to grow mustard seed cress in a margarine pot. I don't know whether that was a law, but I certainly did it. How many of you did that? Yes, quite a few of us. It seems like every generation, that is one of the things that you have to do as a school child. So you go home with some seeds. You say to your mum, can I have a margarine pot? Uh, Can I have some cotton wool or some kitchen roll to put in the bottom of the margarine pot? You put some water on it. You drop the seeds on top. And then you try and be patient for two weeks while you wait for this crest to grow. And it grows to two inches. It's a really exciting project. And then, of course, you have to harvest it, so you get your scissors and you cut your cress, and then you think, I've got to eat it now, so you put it on your cornflakes or whatever you do with it, and you eat your cress. But it doesn't feel like it's the sort of thing that could support the weight of a bird or two. It's not a tree. Well, that isn't what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about mustard seeds, which look like this, and trees, which look like this. The mustard tree is a big tree, four meters high, that sort of size, big garden tree, which easily supports the weight of birds. Birds perch in a mustard seed tree. Now, the phrase, as small as a mustard seed, was a proverbial phrase used at the time of Jesus. It was a common phrase. So if somebody had got a little bit of blood on their finger, you might say it was only, only as small as a mustard seed. Or if somebody had transgressed, that they'd, they'd broken the ceremonial Jewish law, the um, teachers might say, well, it was just a, a sort of minor transgression, like a mustard seed. It was a common phrase, it was a common expression. Jesus himself talked in Luke 17 about faith being as small as a mustard seed. He's saying, you only need a little bit of faith for big things to happen, it can grow to this sort of size. Now, Jesus' reference to birds perching in, the, in this tree, in this image of the tree, would have connected with the people he was talking about probably more than it does for us. The people he was talking to uh, would have known that this picture had been used many times to describe the great empires of their day and previously. So when you got this picture of a tree with birds perched in it, it was a picture of a great empire and the birds perching in it were like the conquered nations that were subservient to this great empire. And so in the Old Testament, uh, particularly in the book of Ezekiel and in Daniel, Daniel 4, for example, you have this same picture and the people that Jesus is talking to would have understood that immediately. Uh, So in Daniel 4, you've got Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, this great empire, enormous empire. He has a dream there. And in his dream, he sees a tree, and he sees birds of the air perched in the tree. And Daniel interprets the, the, the dream, and Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is the tree, and the birds of the air are the subservient nations perched in the tree. So it was a picture that they would have been very familiar with And effectively what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God, although it's very, very small at this present time, will grow into a great empire like the Babylonian Empire or the Assyrian Empire or the Medes and the Persians or the Roman Empire, which of course was the empire which dominated their lives day by day. And so Jesus is giving us a clue here that the kingdom will not remain small. It will grow bigger than even the biggest empires that civilization has ever seen. Judaism, the Jewish faith started in much the same way. You've got one man, Abraham, who God speaks to. And if you remember the story, he, he's taken out and, and shown the stars of the sky. And God says, your descendants will be like this. You won't be able to count them. Or like the, the, the grains of sand on the seashore. You won't be able to count your descendants. And at that point, Abraham has no descendants. He has no son. And he has to believe God and hang on in faith that God is going to do what he said. And so even the Jewish religion knew that, the, that their faith had started with one man and then grown into this great nation. And so Jesus talks about the kingdom growing. And his followers must have thought, can it ever compare to the size of Judaism, to, the, to our Jewish Uh, nation or can it ever compare to the roman empire because at that point the kingdom of god is just a small gathering it's just what's happening around jesus it's limited very much to his ministry and his sphere but of course eventually it begins to multiply and as you go through the pages of the new testament you get jesus talking to his followers as a little flock he calls them little flock he said that the father has been pleased to give you the kingdom of God. So they start as a little flock, but as it goes through, you find that there are 70 or 72 people going out uh, from Jesus to go and minister into the surrounding villages. Uh, if it depends which version, whether you're looking at Luke's version or Matthew's version as to the, the number. Uh, then there's 120 gathered as disciples uh, in the upper room after Jesus ...has uh, died and risen again. And then it talks about on the day of Pentecost... ...3,000 people become Christians and and get baptised. A little bit later, it talks about 5,000 men... ...plus children and and women... ...who are part of that that new group of Christian believers. And by the end of the book, in Revelation 7... ...you've got this this picture of these millions and millions of people... ...gathered around the throne, all worshipping Jesus... And so this growth from the very little flock to the multitude is embedded into the New Testament itself. And so our expectation must be that the kingdom will continue to grow and grow and grow. And because the kingdom and the church are connected, the church should also grow and grow and grow. Now, some local churches have taken a degree of pride in their smallness. This particularly happened after the Second World War when the church was at a very low ebb. Uh, They had just been through the most horrible season period of time. They must have thought Hitler was the Antichrist and the whole world was coming to an end. And they felt that um, the the faithful people were were hanging on until Jesus returned. And the world was getting more and more evil. And therefore the the church felt like it was shrinking and there was actually a sort of theological framework put around that idea that the church should be small. Now, fortunately, in the last few decades, uh, we've seen the church grow and grow again, particularly here in London. And so I don't think there's that kind of mentality around any longer so much. But the church is increasing. We now have churches of thousands here in London, uh, whereas in those days there were some the sum of hundreds and much smaller than that. But God seems to be increasing the number again. And so uh, small churches sometimes make, um, they make a sort of special deal out of being small. Almost uh, can, can be argued that small churches are better than big churches because they do a better job on discipling people and that sort of thing. Now that may well be true. That there's, there's probably some truth in that. But bigger churches have bigger resources and they can do projects for the homeless and that sort of thing. Uh, Bigger churches often have highly skilled people in them. They just do different things better than the small churches also do things really well in a different way. The reality is we need churches of all sizes to reach a city like London. We need the big city-wide churches that can reach out right across London and have a real impact even further than that across the UK, across the world. We need regional churches like this church, King's Church, which affects like a region like South East London. We have an impact on a particular area across South East London. And then you also need estate churches, local churches, like this one, which has been, in its history, very much rooted in this estate and reached out very effectively into the Downham estate along with other churches on the estate. And so you need churches of all sorts of different sizes, but it doesn't really matter what size the church is, Every church should have an expectation there should be some growth. Not just numerical growth, but growth in terms of people's faith and discipleship. Where God reigns, things grow. But that's what God does. So you put seeds in the ground, and nobody quite knows how it works, but there's growth. Uh, Our next-door neighbors love their garden. They're fantastic gardeners, um, and they work really hard to keep their garden nice, and it grows, and we enjoy looking at it, and we don't have to do any of the work, which is fantastic, but they are gardeners, and they tend it. So God brings the growth, but we have to do our part as well. And so we can uh, continue to press on, but sometimes feel a little bit overwhelmed because there's millions of people in London And many of them don't go to church. Many of them don't own the name of Christ themselves. And we can get discouraged. A couple of weeks ago, Matt Wills was preaching, and he was preaching on the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep. And his title for his sermon was The Value of One. The Value of One. And it it just talked about the way that God valued every person individually to bring them through to faith in Christ. God is committed to building his kingdom one person at a time. Now, sometimes that can feel like that's very small. It's very insignificant. But it kind of depends who the one person is that gets saved. If there's somebody that becomes a Christian in this next year, you can't just sort of say, well, that's not very significant. If that person was the next Billy Graham, uh, you know, that might have an enormous impact on the world. Somebody once taught Billy Graham in a Sunday school class and he went on to become somebody that was used by god to see hundreds of thousands of people become christians about 10 years ago i was running a small course called the just looking course it was a pre-alpha course we created it in our, my previous church I had a small number of people come along to the the first one that we did one of the guys that came along was the husband of a lady in the church he wasn't a christian and and as we got through the course he became a christian he, he gave his life to the lord and then he did the alpha course and he kind of grew in his faith and he grew a bit more in his faith and started leading some small groups and then he got asked to lead a group of small groups and then about 18 months ago he became an, an elder in that church a leader in the church their key leader uh, i went to uh, the event where they prayed him in and and that sort of thing. And then about six months ago, he went full-time with the church at Wimbledon. So now he is the site leader for that Wimbledon site, which is about 500 people on Sundays. So God took that one person. It didn't look very fruitful at the time, but he took that one person, and now Sean is being used in in a big way just to impact many people's lives. So let's not despise the small things that happen. God values every single person. Every building looks fairly unimpressive when they start building it. Here's a picture of Angela Merkel with some, uh, no doubt, some uh, German industrial uh, chiefs of some sort building some big construction to house uh, some sort of uh, German economic miracle. And uh, they are toasting the fact they've laid this foundation stone and at that point, that building didn't look very impressive. I guess if you went back a couple of years later, it would look very impressive. I'm sure it was a great big barn of a warehouse or something they were building. But um, the point is that God has got a plan in place. And building sites don't look terribly impressive. They, they're messy. They're dirty. You have to wear a hard hat to get onto a building site. Not everybody can go onto a building site. They are potentially dangerous uh, and, and unattractive. And often the church might feel like the same. It's a bit unattractive, it's a bit messy, it's not particularly, you know, well-constructed somehow, you know, uh, there are all sorts of different types of people in it. Um, But God has a plan. He's the architect. As it says in Hebrews 11.10, Abraham was looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And so God has this great plan to build his church, And he knows what the end product's going to look like. And so I think we just need to understand that we're in a process here. This is not the finished article. The church is not yet finished. So how can we, as this church, make an impact at all on London? Well, by simply doing the the straightforward, normal things that the Bible teaches us to do. To keep worshipping. To keep praying to keep reading our Bibles, to keep gathering together as people of God, and to keep serving. And if we just do those things faithfully, year after year, we see growth. Because wherever God's involved, wherever God's at the heart of something, he can't help but grow the thing. Uh, The kingdom of God will continue to grow, the church will continue to grow, if God is at the center And so I just want to encourage us today, it's just a kind of exhortation and encouragement, really, just to keep doing the simple things. Because it's as you do the simple things that ultimately you see this phenomenal growth happening. You know, seeds drop into the ground, don't suddenly overnight become four-meter trees. It takes time. And so I just want to encourage us to keep going with the simple things. The previous church I was at, we were involved in, uh, I was involved in planting five churches, starting five new churches, uh, one of which lasted about ten years, so it fizzled out after ten years, but the other four are still going strong, and today, they would, if you put all their congregations together, they would number, in total, around about a thousand people, I think, roughly. So, it's taken time, but those four churches are now established, and the first church I got involved with was a church called Oasis Church in Colliers Wood. Colliers Woods is an area probably not dissimilar from this one. Um, in 1990, in September 1990, I took a group of 28 people uh, to start this new church. And the 28 people were a mixture of people. Some were very mature Christians. They were, uh, you know, solid Christian people. Others had got real pastoral needs. Some were quite new to the church Um, So we were quite a mixed group of people. And we got going in September. And I remember going uh, in early December, and we gathered there, and only 16 people turned up. And I thought, oh, no, this is going to be a real struggle. We were in a school hall, probably about the size of this. We were rattled around in this school hall, 16 of us. And I went home to see my wife that lunchtime. She'd been at the Wimbledon Church. And I said, Kathy, I don't think this is going to go anywhere. I think we're going to... You know, it's going to fold. I think it's not going to work. Anyway, we carried not carried on. We we persevered, and for eight, first 18 months, I led that church, and then I handed it on to a young pastor who just uh, graduated, and then he handed it on eventually after a few years to another guy. Uh, five years ago, we went to the 20th anniversary, and there were at least 400 people there. they got a, they've got a building which they're now doubling the size of because they're growing so much. Uh, They've got meetings now in uh, Walton-upon-Thames, in Epsom, in Red Hill, and they have an Asian fellowship as well. The thing has kept growing. And the lesson to learn is just we keep doing the simple things, keep being faithful. It's easy to start well, it's more difficult to keep going uh, year after year. Keep worshipping, serving, praying, reading the Bible, fellowship. It's not difficult, it's just difficult to keep doing it. And so I just want to encourage us this year to keep going. William Carey lived from 1761 to 1834. Some of you will be familiar with his name. He was a pioneering missionary into India and that part of the world at a time when there weren't really very many missionaries at all. He translated the Bible into Bengali, and he opened a college where uh, uh, students would translate the Bible into 40 more languages. He was renowned for his obstinacy, and he said this once. He said, I can plod. This is my only genius. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this I owe everything. I think we should be more content to plod for God sometimes. We live in a world which is like wanting everything instantly, and everything if it's successful, it has to be big, um, it doesn't have to be big to be successful, the value of one. God, God adds one, one at a time. But we want quality as well as quantity. And so let's plod for God. Let's keep doing the things that God has called us to do, inviting people to different things, uh, trying to share our faith, but praying, reading our Bibles and so on. I don't know that God is necessarily in a real rush, and real hurry, uh, but everything he's involved in grows. Everything he puts his hand upon grows. And so we need to just keep doing the normal stuff and inviting God to be at the center of it constantly. Your Christian walk doesn't have to look spectacular uh, to be successful. It just needs to be faithful, loyal, consistent, and keep going all the way through your life the same with gardening. You have to put in work constantly to make a, to make a garden, to make sure it's neat and tidy. Uh, you can't just leave it. It just kind of goes all over the place. You've got to work at it. Paul said, uh, you know, I planted the seed, Apollos watered the seed, but God made it grow. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. And so we do have to do the planting. We have to work hard to start new th- groups, to start new churches, to, 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 to initiate things. We also need to water what we're doing. We need to constantly tend to what we're doing and work hard at building church. But it's God that gives the growth. It's as we do those things that God does his bit. That's where it all gets very special and very exciting. Because Jesus' kingdom is a growing kingdom. If you belong to the kingdom of God, you should be growing in your faith. Uh, We should be ideally growing numerically year on year. God can use each of us to have an impact on the community around us. So don't despair and think, oh, I'm not making any difference. Carry on drawing close to God. Carry on putting him at the center of things and allow him to grow the things that you're involved in yourself. Serve him with your heart or your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what Jesus commands us to do. And then God will give the growth. Through August, we were gathered together just in one meeting, and this room was pretty full. I mean, it's reasonably full now, but it was pretty packed through August. uh, I think we had around about 180 to 190 people each week uh, in the building. So wouldn't it be great to have that in both meetings? So I don't know how many there are today, but it would be good to see this room fuller and our kids' rooms fuller uh, and to have the problem of uh, knowing what to do with the growth, with the numerical growth. But it's not just numerical. It's also quality of our faith. And so that's why we've got groups for us to um, just build relationships together, build friendships together. I want to encourage you to get into a group because that is where discipleship works best. Uh, If you look through the pages of the New Testament, you find that people gathered together regularly. Uh, They ate together. They broke bread together in the homes. Uh, They were disciples together in community. And so we tend to try and do everything individualistically in our society today, but actually you grow best when you grow in community. So there's numerical growth. That's why we do things like the fun day that's coming up on the 19th. We're trying to reach out to new people. That's why we do a a rainbow rhymes. That's why we do Christmas events and bright lights parties as an alternative to Halloween. All of those sorts of things that we do. Uh, But we want to keep God at the center of everything. So, the kingdom will not stop growing. That's the simple message until Jesus returns. The church will not stop growing until Jesus returns. And we need to keep growing until we are face to face with him as well. Let's pray together. The band could come back. That'd be good. Thank you. So, Lord, we thank you for this simple picture of the mustard seed growing into this enormous tree. And the comparison between that and the biggest empires the world's ever seen and the realisation that the kingdom of God will be even bigger. Lord, we thank you that you've caught us up into uh, the kingdom of God in some way or another. All of us in this room today are touched in some way or another by your kingship. And we want to pray, Lord, that you would keep growing the kingdom of God and keep growing the church. We pray particularly for this church, for this site. Lord, we pray. That there will be many more people added to this site. We pray, Lord, as we leaflets uh, next week, as five, six thousand leaflets in this area, to say we're here. Uh, Do come along to the fun day, that sort of thing. Lord, we pray for growth to happen. We pray for those people that have perhaps been in churches previously and and sort of drifted a bit to come back to a church. We pray for those that have got, uh, they're hungry, they're seeking after truth. We pray, Lord, let them come here as well. And let us connect with people in our own worlds, our own spheres, uh, day by day. And give us opportunities to keep just sharing our faith in simple ways and to keep doing the simple things so that we might see the growth that you bring as we faithfully follow you. Lord, help us, we pray, as we go through this term and through this coming year, to keep following you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.